Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hi, Connor. Hey, Brittany. So today we're going to continue with our seemingly never-ending discussion on isms. I feel like every time I think like we've covered all the isms, I'm like, no, we haven't. We've got a a million more isms. There's a lot of isms. So we've done many of these. It's honestly hard to keep track. But um, the one thing I like to mention is as we dive into our our newest ism, just like the other isms, these isms all relate to each other, right? They are kind of building off of each other. Capitalism, individualism, liberalism, the the right kind of liberalism. uh, (laughs) These are all similar, right? They're all related. They're a little bit different, but they all kind of build on each other. They're about the individual and they're about free markets. So they aren't all the same, but they're similar. Now, the same could be said of collectivism, Marxism, socialism, right? They're all alike in that they're going to be favoring the group over the individual, and they're not – they hate free markets, to put it to put it bluntly. So they're extreme versions of the isms, right? Collectivism is, is really an extreme – or a less extreme form of – barely less extreme, but of authoritarianism, right? This bigger thing that you just do whatever the state wants you to do or whatever a big power wants you to do. So – now that I've said that, we're going to build off another scaryism that is more on the collectivism, authoritarianism side, and it's called Maoism. So this is kind of an interesting one because it's very specific. It's kind of like Leninism, which uh, Emma and I talked about, where it's it's built around a specific person, or Marxism even. So uh, like Marxism, Maoism is named after a guy whose name is Mao, I'm going to say it wrong, Zedong. <laughs> I think yeah. that's how you say Mao Zedong. Zedong. <laughs> um, so he was a Chinese communist, communist revolutionary. And he was actually one of the founding fathers of the People's Republic of China, which is what we know today is, you know, the Chinese Communist Party. And as Connor and I talked about in another episode, a lot of scary things coming out of the Chinese Communist Party. So when you think of that, think that this guy helped lay the foundation for that. So right here we have hints, obviously, that this ism is going to be pretty specific to China. But we are seeing it trickle down into the U.S. today, and and I, that's kind of a weird a weird thing to say. I know you're thinking like, how is that possible? But we're going to talk about that. So basically, Maoism, like Marxism, it deals a lot with what they call class warfare. Connor, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask if you can explain a little bit of what class means. So a class uh, in in this context or situation doesn't refer to like your class at school or anything. It's a class of people, a group of people. And it's uh, basically uh, centered around economic status or your your finances. So there's the haves and the have-nots, the people who have a lot of money and the people who don't have, you know, any. Um, You have, like in India, you have a caste system where people were you know, is it cased? Th- I've been saying cast, cast for my whole life. Cased. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> there's another homework for the kids. Yeah, there's another homework. C A S T E. I think it's cased. And um, maybe I'm wrong. Now I'm d- doubting. I know. Now I'm doubting myself. <laughs> so, you know, in India, you're kind of bound to your station. You're in your, you know, level that you were kind of born in. Uh, places like America, you know, capitalism allows you to escape your class. If you were born into poverty, but you're willing to take risks and try, like, there's all kinds of stories out there about, you know, immigrants who come to America and they were maybe in the lowest class of their society um, and in a country that, you know, had this strong class type system. Uh, but then they come to a country here where anyone can, you know, thankfully still uh, make it for themselves. And, and it's not separated by these degrees. But but a lot of people who want to gain power, uh, like in China with Mao, they try and whip up 
uh, the fervor, the the anger of a lot of the poor people, and and they point, and we frankly we see this in America. You see this with like AOC and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, these socialists who attack Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and these billionaires, and and they paint them as the enemy that we need to take from the haves, those who have, and give to the have-nots, and and so you you these these people are trying to create what's called class warfare. They're trying to turn the wealthy people and poor people into enemies rather than recognizing that they're in a very complementary relationship and that rising tides lift all boats. What that means is like as people build more wealth, like, you know, Elon Musk or whoever, it's creating a ton of jobs, creating opportunity. It's helping, you know, even poor people like Steve Jobs. Now everyone has an iPhone. And and so uh, classes are just this kind of separation of people based on their money. Uh, but it's typically used to kind of create this political power around it all. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that. It was out in France. We saw it in, you know, Russia, or what was used to be the Soviet Union. That's that's a big, big favorite of of uh, collectivists. So to jump back into Mao real quick. So Mao, he comes from, and this is going to tie into the class system we just talked about. Mao comes from a peasant family, but they're a prosperous peasant family. So he's not completely destitute. I mean, he's not super, super poor, but he's still in the lower class, the lowest class, actually. So before he goes off to school, he's, you know, pretty ingrained in this idea that there is class warfare going on because he's living in a poor environment. So therefore, he's seeing the struggle between these haves and have-nots, and he's thinking, why do other people have what my family doesn't have? You know, this isn't fair. This isn't just. So eventually, he ends up becoming kind of prominent in this revolutionary circle of, of people who were collectivists, and they got a lot of their ideas from like the Leninist Marxist uh, type belief, and eventually he is one of the leaders in an uprising in China, and this was actually the uprising that installed the entire communist government. So in a lot of ways, you could say that Mao is 100% responsible for China being in the direction it is now, and if you like the Beatles, there's actually a song where... People think of the Beatles as being like a bunch of hippies who were very pro like communism, but that's not actually necessarily true. That's a whole other t- conversation. <laughs> but they have a song where they're making fun of revolutionaries where they say, what is it? So if you go they carrying pictures revolution. of- Yeah, yeah, that's all. If you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao. So they're, they're actually making fun of, there were American kids who used to love Mao because they were like, oh, communism. It's like, all right, that's- Just that's like not today so you great. have kids with the Che Guevara. Jay, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's considered exactly. hip. I think it's important to understand, though, the difference between you know Marxism or socialism and Maoism. So, Marxism elevated you know what was called the proletariat uh, as the heroes of its beliefs. The proletariat was the working class, the the peasants, the poor people. Uh, they weren't all poor, but you know many were what we would think of even middle class, the people who have to go to the nine to five and the daily grind, right? And, and minimum the wage. workers, they were the workers. Yeah. Yeah. And in Maoism, the, the peasantry, the truly poor people are the revolutionaries, but because uh, China, it was, it was just these poor villages. I mean, there was just, it was, it was this kind of uh, very simple society. There were a lot of peasants, uh, but Maoism was also very nationalistic in nature too. So there's another ism nationalism. Um, where it's like the identity is built around the nation. And it, it's funny, you know, because modern day socialists say that nationalism is their enemy. But in reality, some of the beliefs are, are the opposite. You get this weird intertwine. Think of the Nazis who were called literally the national socialists. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes they 
pretend to be opposites. Sometimes they're very combined, but with Maoism, you know, it was, it was the peasants, but it was also this kind of nationalistic pride. Mao wanted to establish Chinese dominance in Asia and the surrounding countries. And something I think that has come to fruition in many aspects, they've been very successful. Um, and, uh, and Emma and Brittany, I think you're doing an episode about this soon, Yep. but, uh, you know, Mao, he was for China first. I mean, in America, we have America first, right? And so Mao had his own version of that and it was China first communism second. And, and, you know, he wanted China to, to take over Southeast Asia. He wanted, you know, Peking China to be at the center. He, he envisioned, uh, kind of dominating the area and, and asserting this control. Which, frankly, I think is, you know, you have uh, many other aspirational people, Stalin and Lenin and Mussolini and others, right? People who are gaining power want to expand their power. So it's not that he, that Mao is unique in this regard, but his audience is a little bit different. It's not just the working class. It's the poor people. It's very much this class warfare. Brittany, I want to toss a question to you. Like Maoism, okay, fine. Decades ago, whatever, the guy lived, he died, he did horrible things. Like, why is it relevant um, to America? Why is Maoism important for us to think about today? Yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels we see. And one of them is for Maoism, the landlords were like, they were like the devil, right? The landlords were the people, you know, oppressing the peasants and forcing them to, to pay to live. And this really sticks out to me because if you've been following what's happened during the pandemic, the government did what's called an eviction ban. So during the pandemic, anybody who couldn't pay their rent, and it, sometimes it didn't even have to be for COVID reasons, uh, they were allowed to stay in their their apartment or their houses. Now, the people who are anti-landlord think like, well, that's great because these people aren't able to work or they're not able to do this. Okay. Well, what about the landlords? How do they make their money? They make their money by renting out their apartments or or their houses. You know, a lot of people who are landlords, they're not like big corporations. They're they're somebody's aunt and uncle who just happened to own a property or, you know, pe- pe- people like you and I, Connor. And so these people make their living off renting out their houses. But the government had declared that, you know, landlords are just, you know, they're they're evil and they're oppressing the people. So we're going to ban evictions. And actually, I, I work for uh, a law firm that helped fight back against this. And we actually ended up, uh, not our law firm, but we ended up winning in general and, and they reversed the ban. But that that stood out in my mind because uh, Mao hated landlords. And so that that stuck out to me as I'm like, hey, we have a problem like that today. <laughs> I think another aspect that we can see is through critical race theory. Uh, we've talked about this before. It's this idea that, um, you know, the, the version in America that we see right now is we have to look at history through this racial lens. We have to understand that there are oppressors and the oppressed and uh, we need, you know, reparations, which is, oh, the white supremacists have this whole, you know, system of government and an economy that's helping them. So we need to, again, take from the haves and give to the have nots. It's this very kind of uh, communist, Marxist, even Maoist uh, kind of approach to things. And so, so that's critical race theory. Mao, you know, he's like, like with critical race theory and this kind of class warfare, he's focusing a lot on classes um, and, and really hyping the division and you were kind of touching on this Brittany. i think we see this in america right now this divide even between like you know the woke and the unwoke it's the the people who uh put pronouns in their you know bio versus those who don't it's it's back to our science episode of people who follow the science versus people who don't and it's this division in our society 
where it's not just this kind of live and let live, you know, you do you, like whatever you're going to believe is cool and I'll believe what I'm going to believe. Now it's this, this kind of fight all the time. It's this, you know, fight for 15, like, oh, you're oppressing poor people. We need a $15 minimum wage. It's, it's just, it's toxicity, it's combat, it's contention, it's division. And, and that is central to political change in the Maoist, you know, stripe of things. It, it was very much, we need the peasants to have an uprising. We need people to get angry and get out into the streets. And so we need to foment or, or encourage this division. And, uh, and so there's this amazing activist who escaped communist China. Uh, her name is uh, Lily Tang Williams. And, you know, Lily's story helps us understand Maoism a little bit better and how it impacts us today. And so she's saying that Mao's cultural revolution, which was like this, this big revolution that he was leading, sought to destroy the four olds, the, the, this old way of, of doing things, traditional ideas, culture, habits, and customs. Traditional ideas, culture, habits, and customs. These were seen as the old way of life that we need to have a re revolution from. So this next quote is going to be a little bit longer. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to unpack it a little bit. It says, identity politics, so like how your identity is part of who you are, and we need to have government care about what my identity is, and you need to treat different people based on their identity, right? Identity politics was a hallmark of Maoism, dividing people into five red classes and five black classes. The red classes were identified as poor and lower middle class peasants, workers, revolutionary soldiers, and revolutionary martyrs. The black classes were landlords, rich farmers, counter-revolutionaries, so people who didn't support the revolution, uh, bad influencers, rightists. So Mao shut down the schools and universities. He urged the youth to hate and hold what were called struggle sessions to shame the black classes publicly by forcing them to criticize themselves, to confess their crimes, to denounce themselves. The consequences for defiance, for opposing this, was assault, torture, or imprisonment in a re-education camp, which is just propaganda. Some children were so brainwashed they would even change their last names, cut ties with their families, and publicly denounce and betray their families. So, so really quick to unpack that, it's that Mao was separating society and encouraging the red classes, the, the favored you know, group, to attack the other side and using political power to, to attack them, to imprison them, to use propaganda to torture them. And to use the youth to go after the kids and get them to shame their parents and to propagandize or, or to share propaganda with the young so they would grow up in believing these ways. So, Brittany, we don't see any of this playing out in America today, right? Totally. Oh, irrelevant. I wish. I wish. But it's the whole idea of wokeism, you know, it's it's dividing people. It's telling people, don't talk to your parents if they don't agree with you 100 percent and start these political arguments over your holiday dinners because you need to shame your parents if they don't believe in, you know, what we call postmodernism, which is like a rejection of tradition, which is just what uh, Lily said that was happening in China. And, you know, they want to dismantle and take apart everything that Western civilization, like our American founding and, you know, the good version of liberalism, all these things that it created. And we saw people tearing down statues, you know, last summer. And I'm not saying every founding father was a good person. You know, some of them did did hold slaves, but 
they're taking down the statues is actually them trying to denounce tradition. They're saying, we know best. These people didn't have any wisdom for us. And like Lily said, you know, it's, it's, that's what Maoism did. It tried to take away tradition and install it with something new. So I think we're seeing it everywhere. I think we are too. And I think we need to be very, very cautious. You have people who have, who have, you know, fled China uh, or even other countries like North Korea, and they give warnings to Americans. Like I'm seeing the same thing in America that we had, you know, happening during the, the, the revolution in, in China, right? The cultural revolution. You need to be careful. You need to. And of course, everyone here is like, oh, no, we're different. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. It, it's happened before. It can happen again. We need to be on guard here in our, whether you live in America, obviously, we have many podcast listeners who live elsewhere. And so we have to be on guard for these things and make sure that we do not entertain these ideas, that we recognize them for what they are. Guys, check out the resources in the show notes page, Tuttle Twins dot com slash podcast this is an important topic these isms are critical if we're going to understand what we believe we need to understand what other beliefs and ideas are out there so make sure to take the time to study listen to some of our other ism episodes make sure you're subscribed Brittany, as always thank you and until next time we'll talk to you later talk to you later you've been listening to the way the world works make sure your family is subscribed and check out tuttletwins.com for more awesome content